thank you for visiting Open Life today. We're glad that you took time out of your busy week to join in with our service. If you're listening online or through the Open Life Church app, I need to point out two things for your benefit. The first is that we have our notes conveniently placed for you to follow along with the passages and points mentioned in the talk. The second thing I would like to point out is our connection card. If you fill this out while you are listening, it not only lets us know you visited us today, but also allows you to communicate any prayer requests you may have. We will be sure to take time to pray for them during the course of the week. If you are listening on iTunes, you can always visit us online or download the Open Life Church app to get in contact with us. Wherever or however you are with us today, we are glad that you are here. Now let's join today's talk. We are in part 13 of our Luke series. Is that crazy to think that we've been in it that long? We'll be done with it here. This is, there's only three more series, so uh, within the context of walking verse by verse all the way through the book of Luke. And the cool thing about where we're at now is like Jesus is going to start talking about the coming kingdom and the reality that He's going to be going to heaven, and this is the reality, like, hey, this is your responsibility. These are the little life nuggets. These are the mini blogs that He writes to His disciples and, and, and is teaching them that the disciples actually write. And Luke has this opportunity here at the end of Jesus' life to record the final instructions so that we can be certain that Jesus is the Son of God, which is His intent for the book in the first place. So it's really cool to be able to now look at, man, just today we're going to get like four many teachings, a story that illustrates those teachings, and it's like wraps together and is challenging. We'll really hone in on point one today. Uh, but Sit back and relax. We're going to enjoy this. Luke 17, 1 through 19. Uh, it says, Jesus said to His disciples, so that's His audience for the teaching, right? Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It'd be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So, Watch yourselves. Got it, Jesus. That's pretty… <laughs> wow. Okay. Like, that's aggressive teaching, right? It's pretty interesting. It goes on. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, which is basically the size of the little ball inside the pen you were handed when you walked through the door. It's that small, right? If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he, will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? 
So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Okay. You get that? So four different teachings. Here's the story. Jesus heals ten men with leprosy is what it's titled in my Bible. Verse 11. Now, on, this, on His way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As He was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met Him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When He saw them, He said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them. When he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he, he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So today's four life lessons and uh, this section of Scripture that I've titled, Have Faith, just simply have faith. And I find it very intriguing, multiple elements uh, of this dialogue where Luke sets us up here to really grab a hold of the reality again that Jesus is the Son of God. Notice how the, the one who came back worshiping Him was clinging to His feet, and Jesus self-identifies Himself as God. And you could just pass by that and miss it, but He was at His feet worshiping in, in, in a loud voice, and Jesus said, did no one else come to worship God? Right? So He's like, He didn't say, stop worshiping Me. He said, nobody else showed up to worship God? So I find that very intriguing that, like, you can't miss those things. You can't just say, well, Jesus was a nice little prophet. He was a nice little dude, did some cool things, some sweet healings, like, would have been awesome to walk on water and stuff. He was just a really good guy, right? No, he's claiming to be God. He's either God or not God, and that's what Luke is writing about. So we have to grapple with that, if you would. And, and you can grab a ton of things like that out of this text. We could teach on this for weeks, but we are... Uh, cranking through Luke. So we're just going to grab four things that I think are right in our face from the text today. And the first is, watch yourself. Number one, watch yourself. Have you, I don't know, maybe you've, you've, you've heard this before, but, uh, you know, the reality is there's things that are going to make people stumble, we're taught here. And we make choices that make people stumble. And it's our responsibility when we lead others to stumble. So we're supposed to watch ourselves, right? And you've probably heard the quote, check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? Check yourself before you wreck yourself, you know? Somebody would say that to you, and you're like, mm-hmm, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself, okay? Okay, right? Uh, but Jesus taught differently, right? He taught that, that, that we're supposed to be humble, that we're supposed to consider others above ourselves, that we're supposed to be servants of all. And so here, he's warning his disciples, here's the deal. You're going to want to teach some things to make people happy around you, but if you approve those things, you're going to lead people to stumble. 
It's better to tie a big old stinking rock around your neck and jump into the water than to be the one responsible for somebody's sin. And so he's challenging his disciples with this. You better check yourself before you wreck someone else by what you disapprove or what you approve. Tough teaching. Because now all of a sudden, when I'm making choices, I need to realize that I'm making choices that will both impact myself and others. We need to live with that awareness that we're watching ourselves. It's that moment we just want to go off because... Somebody deserves correction, but we realize, wait, if I'm that guy, then I'm going to lead somebody potentially to stumble away from the faith because they're like, oh, that guy's a Christian and he's doing that? Hmm. I don't want to be a part of that. Right? So what does it mean, don't make one of these little ones stumble? Well, in Matthew and Mark, they both talk about the little ones and they define it. It's a parallel passages. You have the four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew and Mark record this same teaching, and they say uh, they define out little ones as the new believers. So it's new people who've chosen to follow Jesus that are watching the example of these disciples who've been walking with Jesus for three years now. Think about it. Three years, day in and day out, hanging out with Jesus, you have the opportunity to ask and clarify all these questions. They've been raised up in the Old Testament trainings and law, and now Jesus has come along and repeatedly He says, you've heard it said this, but I say, like this is the new teaching, this is clarity. All these things were pointing to Jesus coming, the Messiah, and He's identifying the fact that I'm what this Bible builds up to. And he's training them in this. He's helping them see. So they've gone through three years of mindset and shift and, and just getting their place to the reality of this is the Son of God, right? They still have doubts. We'll read about that. We'll read about the reality in, a, in, in just a few weeks. We'll read about the reality that when Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission, it was right after they all said they were doubting. Thomas, doubting Thomas, like sticks his hand through the holes and, of Jesus, and he's like still living in doubt, and Jesus says, go and save the world. What? But I'm full of doubt. So it's okay that we're all in process, but these disciples are three years more advanced in the process. And so Jesus is saying, you've figured a lot of things out that are permissible for you. And like these guys haven't figured that out yet. If they do what you do in some circumstances, they'll see or think that they're sinning. So Paul defines this later. He writes this passage that's kind of cool in Romans 14. I'm going to read it for you. Ten passages here, Romans 14, 13 through 23. He kind of details this out for the disciples and those who are following Jesus even more. This is how he writes it. Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If you, brother or sister, uh, or if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. 
Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives approval or human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, mutually building one another up is what edification means. So, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. What is he teaching about? What's, why is he going on about eating? Because gluttony is a sin. I'm just kidding. No, uh, the, this is why he's teaching about eating. There were a lot of meats at that time that were, were sacrificed to idols. So, you had all these different temples that, that existed, and they would sacrifice animals to their god. There, and these meats then, after they were offered as a sacrifice, were sold in the public arena. So people would try to find out, is this meat, like, was this part of a idol worship, or was it, is this like clean kosher meat, right? And so they would figure this out, and they would uh, not eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. Well, then they kind of figured out, oh, well, like, that's why we pray over our, our food, and like, none of this is really, it's just, it's just meat, Right? And so, if we bless it to the Lord and, and offer it up to Him, we can eat it. And then, but some people didn't get that, and they would see them eating the meat that they knew was sacrificed from idols, and, and they're like, well, they're eating it, so I'll eat it. And then the next thing you know, they're like living in self-condemnation and sin. And, and so, the disciples were leading them to sin. You know, same with, same with the issue of, of the drinking of wine and, and you know, and they were like, what, what, you know, was this wine used for this or that or you know, and they, they got all nervous. So, Paul writes here to the Romans, hey, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block in somebody else's path. I mean, we really need to weigh the things that we approve or disapprove because it can, it can be a stumbling block for somebody on either side of the story, right? Like, if I approve this, man, this person's going to stumble. If I disapprove this, this person's going to stumble. I am in some issues in our world today. We're caught in between a rock and a hard spot, correct? And so you're sitting here. So what does Paul teach on this? It's kind of interesting. He's like, keep it between yourself and God, dude, because peace is the greater goal. Love is the greater goal. Grace is the greater goal, right? And you're just going, I wrestle with this still. Like, how, am I, how are my actions a demonstration of love? How am I a demonstration of God's love to others around me by my choices? Because what if we just focus on being a great demonstration of Jesus to others so that naturally they can self-discern right from wrong by consuming the Word of God and praying and walking through Scripture and having to deal and grapple with things like this? Wouldn't that lead to peace? 
And so I thought of what's the most practical example I could jump on today, one of the most practical examples, uh, because we're so tempted to do exactly what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did. The religious rulers in this day created rules, man-made rules that weighted people down that they could not live up to. So Jesus comes and says, no, grace, love, right, peace, happiness. And so they're going, but what about like just obvious life misbehavior patterns in people? How do we help them discover holiness or wholeness with you, right, relationship with you? And so this confrontation comes, and so we're still tempted to just build rules and try to make people obey them, and we need to check ourselves whenever we're tempted to do that. One of those areas that's just blatantly obvious in the world is, is the area that's hit on in this. Take drinking alcohol, for example. You're like, oh, great. I knew he was going to get to this someday, right? This pastor said, no, you've heard me talk about it more than once. So, I, here's the deal. Uh, this, is, this, this makes sense as an illustration for multiple reasons, but one for personal now, my story is, is I was an alcoholic totally before I made a decision to follow Jesus. I was about a half a bottle of Cuervo and 12 beers a day. That's pretty much where I was at. That was not good. I was like not really there all the time ever, you know? So I drank too much. Um, and, and so I hindered my opportunity to live life to the full by what I consumed. And it was my master, that's alcoholism, right? So I was just like, I, I, I longed for it. I looked for the time to drink it. It was not good. It ruled me. And so I'm challenged in Scripture to have no other Lord but Him, right? Well, the crazy thing is when I made a decision to follow Jesus, like, I just had no desire for it anymore. I actually did drink once after giving my life to Jesus and got violently sick and thought, okay, God, you don't want me to partake in this anymore. So I stopped. I, I just choose to abstain. But we can see and read in Scripture that alcohol is totally permissible biblically, right? It's just we're challenged not to give ourselves to drunkenness. So you're going, okay, well, that's sweet. You know, I mean, so I have the freedom to drink. You have the freedom to drink. We're supposed to obey the laws of the land, so not until you're 21, right? And so you're like, but you, you have that freedom if you so choose. And I loved the flavor of some of the drinks. I actually illegally worked as a bartender for a while before I was 21. Don't ask. And uh, so I created some really sweet drinks out there. And, and so if you're looking for some, talk to me afterwards. But anyway, so I, uh, no, but, but the, the Bible also shows us Jesus in a light that just makes you kind of scratch your head when it comes to this subject because he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. But we would assume it's because of who he associated with all the time. And again, Luke points this out because Jesus has a target market. He's going for those that are farthest from God. He's eating in sinners' homes, and he's eating food that Religious people wouldn't eat and drinking things religious people wouldn't drink. And, and you just go, so, so here's this accusation against Jesus. So what do we do with this? We can't disassociate with those that drink, and I would hope that those who drink don't disassociate with me. Then this moment happened uh, later that, and that we, were, we have some friends that go to a church that threw a kegger for great purpose, right? Raised like a million dollars for charity water, which was awesome. And, uh, and so, but they're throwing this kegger, 
And, uh, uh, and so we, you know, it kind of makes the media. And, and then they threw like a Super Bowl or like a playoff party and had a kegger in the sanctuary. And, and it's, it's just different. They're reaching a great crowd, right? And so, uh, so everybody's like, yeah, you know. And, and uh, so they come in. And, well, I'm sitting here with Dana's brother. And, uh, and he, he goes, and his wife, who knew the pastor when they were teenagers, and that pastor used to sell her drugs. And so it was kind of like me in high school. I got arrested for selling alcohol out of my car. So anyway, there's, there's these things. If Jesus loves me, he can love you too. I'm just saying. Hope my girls don't listen to this podcast. Jaden might be more editing. I'm just kidding. Uh, so uh, we're sitting here, you know, uh, watching the news, and all of a sudden they do this article on the kegger, and Dana's brother's there and his wife, and she's going, a kegger in a church? Now that's the guy I used to know in high school. And we started to think, maybe this isn't good, right? Maybe this is going a little too far of approving something. And then her brother says this, somebody who does not follow Jesus right now in his life, says, you know, seems to me that if I were ever to go to back to church, I'd be trying to get away from some of that in my life and not want to put myself right in a place that would make me stumble again. And I was just going, interesting words, right? Interesting words. They make you think. So here we have these things to wrestle with. And, you know, open life is not what you'd call a dry church. I mean, we think it's totally permissible to drink, right? And we just choose not to provide it for you. That's kind of where we've taken a stand. And, uh, but I love this. This is where I see love, just kind of going at this issue. This is what Jesus is teaching. So if he teaches it, I want to just be as defined as possible. This is what I love hearing. And people have asked us, and they do this. Hey, you know, so, like, is it bad if we have wine here? Just the fact that they ask that is love. Does that make sense? Because for somebody, they might go, what do you mean? I thought we weren't supposed to drink. Oh, that's cool. We don't have to. You know what I'm saying? It's like that person. We need to think of that new individual. We need to think of that next person. Or if we don't know them well, we need to not assume. So I love when, when I've been offered alcoholic beverages by people in the church. I'm not in any way, shape, or form offended. And I, I love the fact that I was just even asked. And it wasn't assumed. Oh, here's a drink. Whoosh. That didn't happen. It was more like, you know, do you want water, coffee, pop, beer? What is it? You know, not knowing my story, I'm like, I always say, coffee's my drug of choice. You know, so it's like insert IV now, 24-7. But it's like, you know, so it's just like, that's, does that make sense to you? It's like resonate with you? And it doesn't mean like you're a lesser human being or a greater human being if you choose the path of abstaining from alcohol or if you choose the path of drinking. As long as you're not given to drunkenness, you're in the right spot with Jesus, right? According to Scripture. So it's so interesting then that we don't try to form rules and key in mindsets into people that, well, here's our rule. You know what I'm saying? But yet we do have to look at what are we approving or disapproving? And what's the repercussions of that sin-wise and stumbling block-wise? We actually, as a staff, had a great conversation about that this week. Just, okay, so now what? So now we do what? And then how? So what's the repercussions? Of, uh, uh, and you wrestle with that. You do. There's things like this you have to wrestle with. What does proving this mean? Now that you're thinking, 
Number two, this is tough, and I'm not going to hit on this for very long, but forgive always. Can you believe the teaching? If they come back to you, think about this, seven times in one day. I mean, when do you go, okay, your repentance like is not very authentic. Let's think about this because you've done this over and over again. Let's just draw up a scenario, uh, a random, uh, just go with a random scenario in the room and just go, you know, like, what if, because somebody actually did this to me. One time we were in uh, uh, a men's breakfast in a church, and this guy came up to me and said, Thad, I just want to let you know how beautiful your wife is. It's like, okay, weird meter went about to here, right? And he said, you know, I just wanted to let you know that um, I'm a man with small pupils, and I'm about to laugh at this face, right? It's like, thank you for saying pupils. Anyway, so anyway, it's like, and, and he's going, he's going, I'm a man with small pupils, and men with small pupils look at things longer, and I just want to let you know if you ever catch me staring at your wife, I just think she's beautiful. Weird meter is about to hear. I'm thinking, okay, I'm a pastor of this church. I can't hit him. I can't. You know, you're just going. So he's like, I just ask your forgiveness if I've ever crossed the line. I'm like, I feel like you're crossing it right now. You know, I'm just like, but Jesus just teaches me always forgive. And you're like, dude, no worries. I forgive you. You know, it was hard to do. Especially, well, what if he would have five minutes later come up Nowadays, because back then this didn't exist, what if, like, social media existed, and he would have told me that at the beginning of the prayer meeting, and then at the end, hey, Thad, I just want to, yeah, uh, can I talk to you? Yeah, sure, what's up, dude? Yeah, uh, well, you know, I, I, while we were praying, I was, uh, man, I was on Dana's Facebook, and she just really is beautiful. I have to apologize again. Okay, that's a little weird, dude. You know, what if he called me an hour later? Thad, yeah, I'm on... I'm on Dana's Facebook right now again, and actually I went all the way to her Instagram. I liked a few photos. I was, you know, I was just looking for one of her in a bathing suit. Wasn't on there, but I just wanted to let you know. Did totally forgive you? You know? <laughs> Seven times? Are you kidding me? By the fourth time, I'm at his doorstep. I'm like, give me your computer, phone, everything, digital device, your internet's yeah, I know your phone doesn't work. I cut the cable before I came in. You're toast, man. Yeah, I don't know. What would you do, right? Somebody's going to get restrained, hopefully, before that moment happens. So I, I just look at this. Forgive always. This is a tough teaching. Very tough. And forgiveness is not condoning the offender. And, you know, we can go into all those, those teachings. But the issue here is, is considered a future tense imperative, like the teaching is a future tense imperative, which means repetitious, and you must. It could be written, you must forgive him. It's like, wow, that's strong. Jesus even taught his disciples how to pray, and in the middle of that, he taught this, Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Assuming we've forgiven all. We've forgiven everybody the offenses. And I don't know about you, but I need to be really close to Jesus to forgive someone like that. Because when the weird meter gets past about 50%, that's when 
feathers are ruffled and you're trying to discipline yourself. And it's like forgiving somebody genuinely is really tough. Now we're in this world with reality TV and things bombarding us from every direction that make us want to stir up drama, right? And we're like, forgiveness? I'm not forgiving them, right? That's like these shows that are like, and we follow the families and we stalk them. And we're like, oh, it's so good. <laughs> they hate each other, you know? It's like, and when it's glorified, so it's even tougher to have the discipline of forgiveness. Again, Romans 14, 19, as we just read a moment ago, we're supposed to be the ones that make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification and forgiveness is a key ingredient. The only thing that it does if we don't forgive is it locks us in a prison of our own bitterness. And that prison starts from the very heart of us and works its way out and kills us from experiencing life. So forgive always. The third thought, have faith. Have faith. Simple enough, but catch this because it can pass by you without you grabbing it. It's not quantity, but quality that matters with faith. For those of you following the talk on your phone on the app, I threw that quote in so you wouldn't forget it, but it's not quantity, but quality that matters with faith. The disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith. He says to them the, the teaching about forgiveness, right? If he comes to you seven times in one day, forgive him. In Matthew, they teach it seven times, 77, forgive him. Like, that's even more. And so, you just go, it just means always forgive. And so, he teaches us always forgive, and the disciples are like, then increase our faith. Increase our faith. And Jesus kind of smacks them because he teaches them this illustration of a man that only needs a mustard seed amount of faith. In other words, it's not quantity of faith. You just have to have faith. The smallest amount of faith will allow you to ask God for the impossible. It goes back to humility a bit, right? It goes back to the reality that we're not building a faith resume with God by coming to church and by serving. And, and it doesn't mean that all of a sudden now when we go to pray, okay, God, I served you this week. I gave in the offering. I sent my kid to camp. I, I'm going to go to Open Life 101. I, I even went up for prayer. Okay, I'm doing really well Sunday. So now I'm going to ask you for that job. No, you just have to have faith. Ask for the job. Jesus can displace someone so that you can get it. If he can cast a mulberry tree into the sea, now you're thinking totally different in the way you're praying for work, right? You're going, ah, oh, Jesus displaced that guy so that I could step in. I'm just kidding. I don't know. You could hurt someone. I don't know if that's love. So Philemon 4 through 7 says this, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all the holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in, de in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. It doesn't matter how long you pray. It doesn't matter how much you read. It doesn't matter the resume of faith you build. You just need to be active in your faith to believe that God can do it. Because the more you activate your faith, 
the more you utilize your faith. Instead of pursuing more faith, we need to pursue more faith in action. Because when we see our faith cause reaction, we trust God to ask. When we pray for somebody and they get well, we believe that they'll get well next time. Had nothing to do with how many times we've prayed for somebody and they got well. Just that we prayed. Does that make sense? Not quantity, but quality. Final thought, point four, return your praise to Him. Return your praise to Him. So Jesus has this incredible moment where He teaches His four little leadership principles with everybody, and then all of a sudden He wraps this moment with the Samaritan who needs to be healed of leprosy, who does everything right according to the law, keeps his distance from Jesus, and, and goes, you know, has this moment there. And, and again, Luke loved to show the target of Jesus. The Samaritan was the last person who would have expected to be healed. No way, shape, or form was he in the lineage. He didn't deserve it. You know, all these things. He's, he was outside the town, though. He was doing the right thing. And when Jesus was going into this, this town, he said, go and on your way you'll be healed. Do what's ceremonially right. Go show yourselves to the priest. Well, the Samaritan must have been going, I'm a Samaritan. There's no point in me showing myself to the priest, but here we go. And they start walking to the priest, and the Samaritan has to be questioning Wow, what am I doing? Right? I mean, it's totally the story. The Samaritan has to be questioning what he's going to the priest for, but for some reason, he's the only one that recognized that he should go back and worship Jesus. Maybe it's because those who are forgiven much are grateful for much. And he got that. He turns around, runs to Jesus, and praises him loudly. Doesn't say he's on pitch. Doesn't say he knows all the words. You know what I'm saying? We come in for worship and we're like, I'm not really a singing voice, so I'll just come in here and I'll be really quiet. Jesus, we worship you. And you're really quiet. This is like, no, hopefully something happens during the week and you're grateful and you come in. Thank you, Lord. I love it every once in a while. And, you know, sometimes it can be weird in worship environments. You know, you can get into one that's like really charismatic and it might freak you out. Or you might get in one where people are too still and it freaks you out. Either way, but I love every once in a while when Aaron worships out here. And, you know, uh, when you first hear it, it might trip you out. And I didn't ask his permission to share this. This is my look of, I have permission, right? And worship team's coming up, right? So anyway, I, uh, uh, he, he'll be back there and they'll be singing some lyric and all of a sudden he'll just have no words, but he'll do this like, and you're just like, Braveheart, freedom! You know, you're like, it's that moment in worship though. And it's like, that's immediately, when I read that this guy came back to Jesus with a loud voice, I was picturing Aaron. You know, and I'm just like, disciples had to have been going, you know. And then he worships him. They're like, oh, he's like running. Is he going to kill him? No. Just, just wanted to praise you. Oh, yeah, okay. Praise. Hallelujah. We thought that's what you were doing, just to keep things straight. So funny. If you read it for what really happens. So to me, it means Sundays matter. Worship matters. I know it's easy to get out slow and miss like the first 15 minutes or 20 minutes of service, right? And you come in late and you're like, but we should have had a week. Hopefully, if we're active in our faith, right? If we have faith and we're active in our faith during the week, we should be filled with so much praise that we just have to come in and thank God. 
loudly sometimes. I don't know. That's what's challenging me. Sundays matter. Worship matters. Being grateful matters. Romans 12, 1, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, and their thinking became futile. I don't want that to be my story. I want to glorify God for what He does in my life. He's done so many incredible things. John's going to share a story about what your faith and practices of generosity have opened the door for us to participate in this week. And we sent boats to eastern Washington because of members being on mission. We've done crazy things this week. And, and I just look, in one week, just all that Jesus has done. And I come back to go, man, I came through the door with praise today. I hope that's you. We need to be returning with praise every week. It matters to God. It matters to us. So here's the challenge. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, your action steps are on the back of your connection card. I'm going to pray for you. But maybe, you know, the bottom three action steps on the left-hand side, or they're online as well if you click the button that says action steps. Um, maybe you need to watch yourself more closely. You know, watch, uh, my next step is to watch myself to prevent others from stumbling. Maybe that's you today, or maybe for you today, you need to forgive those who've asked. <laughs> You're like, I'm not forgiving you. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so you'd be praying about that here when we're having a moment of worship, or maybe you need to be returning with praise. You've just been returning, but where's the praise? So God, I... I want to challenge all of us to grow from this. And I love these little leadership principles and backed with this moment of, of divine healing. But only one came back. I just pray that's not the story in our generation. May we be people who are grateful, worshipful. We have every reason to praise you. We have every reason to just stop and glorify you for all that you are. So, God, I pray that you would challenge us today. And some in this room maybe have come through the door and still in that process of kicking the tires of the faith. And I just pray that they realize how much Jesus just talked about love for them as those who are young in their pursuit of Jesus and just trying to figure out what is this faith thing. And, and that we're, everybody in this room has just been challenged to think of their needs as a priority to be hospitable, to serve, to love, to be gracious. Not to build rules to live by, but to overwhelm people around us with grace. So may we live that way. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about anything you heard during this talk or have a prayer request, you can fill out the connection card on our app or online at openlife.church. If you'd like to join the mission of Open Life with a financial gift, you can do this quickly and securely through the app by pressing the Give button at the bottom or on our website by clicking on the Giving tab. Open Life wouldn't exist without the consistent and generous giving of people like you. Finally, it's great that you had the chance to listen on the app, online, or through our podcast, but have you ever thought about joining us for a service? We meet every Sunday at Bonnie Lake High School at 10 a.m. This way you can put a face to the voice you've been hearing through your ears. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a great rest of your week.